0: Hi, my name is John Hammond. I'm a business development consultant with U.S. Bank's corporate payment systems division.
1: Hello, everyone. Uh, My name is Nate Johnson. I am a fraud support analyst for corporate payments clients.
0: And we are here to talk about fraud. And Nate, my high level understanding of fraud is any unauthorized use of an account. Do I have that correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct, John. Ultimately, the way we define fraud is unauthorized transactions by an unknown third party. Uh, just as a point of clarification, also, uh, some things that we do not consider as fraud uh, would be use by a friend or a family member, uh, employee abuse. Uh, someone uses their card for personal purchases that aren't approved within the program. Uh, merchant disputes. So if someone makes a legitimate purchase, and has some sort of an issue with the transaction or with the merchant and then anytime there's uh, an inability to pay on the account uh, we would also consider that not to be fraud.
0: thanks nate that that's good clarification um i want to ask about is there an uptick in actual fraud i feel as though there, there is attempted fraud or, or actual fraud, but what, what are you seeing from your side?
1: That's a, a good question. I would say we are seeing uh, an increase in fraud. Uh, most of that is driven by the fact that our card holders are now using their cards more and traveling more as COVID restrictions become uh, you know, removed and lifted. And so as cards are used more and circulated more, uh, the risk of fraud increases uh, because that card data is out there uh, in the industry. Uh, as far as different trends that we're seeing, uh, some industry's trends, uh, merchant compromises, uh, those are still uh, prevalent today despite the fact that uh, chip cards are, are well circulated in the industry. A merchant compromise occurs when a fraudster uh, hacks into or accesses a merchant's databases and steals credit card information. Um, some other things that we're seeing as well are more on the side of social engineering. So things like uh, vishing, which is a phone-based attack. Um, this is when a fraudster calls and attempts to manipulate their victim, uh, making themselves seem like they are uh, an employee of the bank um, trying to get them to provide them with uh, some personal or credit card information. Uh, something else that falls also within that category uh, would be phishing, which is based upon email, and uh, this is where you would see things like malware or ransomware links um, that come up, and really with the intent that the end user clicks on those links, which then oftentimes opens up access to their uh, machine, their, their personal computer and then uh, allows the presser in to take advantage of any information that they might be able to get access to. Uh, The last one I would call out that falls in that category uh, would be SMISHING, which is uh, social engineering based on text messages. Um, Oftentimes, they will try to pose as a financial institution. Uh, I know personally, myself, I've gotten uh, these sort of text messages in the past uh, from financial organizations that I don't even do business with. So. Really, they're out there just trying to get someone to, you know, click on a link or call a number and provide that that personal and credit card information. Uh, A couple things, too, uh, that I would close with on this front. Uh, Some of the scams that we've seen uh, impact our customers specifically, uh, one that's definitely still prevalent is the business email compromise. And how this plays out is uh, Fraudster will get a hold of information on a cardholder under a specific organization they will either call or send an email to that cardholder impersonating a company executive Um, what they do then is they ask them to purchase gift cards Uh, they may claim that it's for a specific event or some other purpose if that person doesn't validate the identity of, of the you know the person calling or emailing goes out and makes those purchases The fraudster then follows up um, trying to request the gift card information. So they're looking for those details, right? So the number uh, on the card, the expiration date, the CBV. And at that point, uh, if the cardholder who purchased those gives up that information, now the fraudster has everything they need to go ahead and drain those gift cards. And the real unfortunate aspect of this is that Oftentimes, when this occurs, uh, the client is liable for the fraud because their cardholder knowingly made the purchase, unfortunately for them, um, they didn't realize that it was a fraudster who was reaching out and not actually a company executive. So, um, definitely something to be mindful of.
0: Wow. Business email compromise is something I feel I've been hearing more about of late. I, I heard a story of a Company where an employee had responded to an email or clicked on a link within the email that they shouldn't have. It looked legitimate. The end result is the the company ended up wiring out one hundred eighty thousand dollars, and that money just bounced over overseas to the the fraudsters who who perpetrated that that fraud. Um, and certainly, you've described. Many other methods, techniques that that fraudsters uh, use. I, I guess the question is how how do how does one avoid or prevent that, or or what can we as U.S. Bank uh, do, or what do we do to help our clients prevent prevent fraud?
1: Yeah, really, some good questions, John. So I think there are a few things from a U.S. Bank perspective. Uh, One of the things that we do is we try to educate our clients. Um, Things like this conversation we're having today, uh, we also provide uh, webinars uh, for clients to give them updates on current trends, suggestions on how to prevent fraud. We also have several documents that outline different measures that clients can take to help prevent fraud, in addition to, of course, the fraud strategies and efforts that the bank takes on their behalf to secure their program. So those are definitely some things that we're doing on our side. Uh, You know, really from a client or cardholder perspective, the number one thing is being diligent, you know, be a little bit cautious, right? So if you're transacting online, you know, make sure that the merchant seems reputable, that it seems secure. Uh, If you're getting an email text message from someone that you don't know, uh, and it's asking for personal information, don't provide it. Don't click on any links that you're unfamiliar with. If you receive a call from someone, or even you know a text message, stating to be uh, from U.S. Bank, uh, if you have any concerns about the validity, you know validity of the call, I would hang up the call and call the number on the back of the card just to ensure that you're speaking to someone uh, from U.S. Bank specifically.
0: Great, great ideas, great best practices. Uh, one way I know organizations can can avoid fraud is via their virtual credit cards single use account credit card payments is that in your opinion still true is a very secure way to to make a payment
1: I would I would agree absolutely with that you know it absolutely is it's a much better way in regard to making payments versus ACH or other methods, it's much more secure um, than that. Not only that, it has built-in security measures within that product that will help reduce the risk of a fraudster capturing that information and then turning around and using it for fraudulent purposes. In, in addition to that, you know, more on a cardholder level, um, signing up for mobile payments, right? So things like Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, um, you know, products of that nature will help mask or tokenize that card information so that any transaction they make using those methods just further protects the card information or reduces the risk of fraud happening.
0: And certainly sounds better than giving somebody a check or mailing out a check that has my account and routing number on the check. I think of that as giving the keys to the kingdom.
1: Completely agree. Yeah, much more, much more secure method of payment by far.
0: Thank you, Nate. And uh, I want to, before uh, we we close, I want to thank the o- Ohio Chamber for for this opportunity. And I think for for me, Nate, if you agree, three key takeaways um, from our conversation is first, be aware of the various scams that that are out there. I think awareness helps you spot it. If somebody tries to pull that, that scam on you or your organization. And just overall organizational awareness, would, would you agree it's, it's good for everyone to have as much awareness as, as possible as opposed to just a limited couple few people?
1: Definitely, uh, you know, overall awareness is far better. Um, it, it can, I mean, the fact of the matter is, fraud can happen to anyone within an organization. And so making sure cardholders and and really anyone are aware because not only does it happen, you know, via uh, credit cards, but again, you also have things like ransomware malware that gets sent via email. And those may not even be cardholders, but just employees. So having a a holistic understanding of of the risk and what occurs uh, only is going to help the organization protect itself. Great.
0: And then you laid out a number of things, um, tools, best practices, but, you know, just taking advantage and actually using the the tools and controls that are available to prevent fraud. I think
1: that's one of the most important things, John. Um, you know, we have many controls in place uh, from a bank perspective, but we also offer a lot of opportunity for our clients. So things like fraud alerts, and those are text or email alerts that cardholders can enroll in and receive uh, if there's anything suspicious happening on their cards. Very you know, very important and it also helps them you know shut the card down much more quickly should there be fraud on the account. Uh, blocking merchant category codes, right? So we know not everyone transacts with every type of merchant. So any way that we can further restrict those merchant category codes just helps tighten up the security of the program along with purchase limits. Um, that way if a fraudster does get access to one or some of the cards on a the program, ha- they have limited ability to complete transactions because things are tightened up much more and there's you know less opportunity to transact with just any merchant. So that helps you know there's reporting available as well that helps program administrators monitor what's happening on the program and what frauds occurring. So I think, you know, all of those things combined uh, will really help tighten the program beyond what we're
0: doing uh, from our side with our fraud strategies. Couldn't agree more. That that makes sense to me. Well, uh, thank you, Nate. Always uh, good to talk with you. And again, we, we really want to thank the Ohio Chamber of Commerce uh, for, for hosting and the opportunity to speak with everyone today. So thank you very much. Thank you.